Would you turn your Bibles with me this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 5? This morning we're going to come back to our study in the pastoral epistles. And so I am glad to be able to continue our study there again with you. <clears throat> and would you stand with me one more time this morning and we'll read our text together. We're going to be looking at this text over the next several weeks. 1 Timothy 5, 17-25. And I just want to introduce this text to you all this morning. Let's read this together in unison. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidences of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourselves pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Let's pray together. Father, we, we come to You as Your children, as the house of God, the church of the living God. Thank You for Jesus, who is our mediator, our faithful mediator and high priest. Thank You that He is the light of the world that we follow so that we no longer walk in darkness. Thank You that He is the rock from which comes the fountain of living water. That He is the bread of life. Father, we know these things and we are so grateful that You have made Christ to become for us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that when we consider our salvation, we do not boast in ourselves or in anyone else except for Christ. We boast in God. We are so grateful that You have saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to Your own purpose and grace, which You have established even from eternity. So Father, we come to You this morning as we consider more about the building of Your church, how You have established the blueprint here for us in Scripture and how Christ, the ascended and the risen and ascended Christ, is reigning from on high and building His church. We pray that You would give us hope in Him and, and joy as we follow His patterns and His commands. Father, teach us and conform our church as a whole, as the whole assembly, conform us more and more into the image of Christ and, and His plans for us so that we can be used by You to help one another to grow up into the image of Christ and so that we will see You glorified in our local body 
and we will see more people come to salvation. Father, if it be Your will, we ask for these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Christ has promised us that He will build His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is clear in Matthew 16-18, a wonderful promise that we remind ourselves of often. It reminds us that we do not build the church, but Christ does. And the church does not belong to us, but it belongs to Christ. He loves it far more than we could ever love it. And He has given more than we could ever give to its building and its development. When the apostles speak of the development of the church, they also often speak of it in terms of a building, just like Christ did. For example, right here in our text, we look over at chapter 3 again, and we remember that Paul spoke of the church as the household of God in verse 15 of chapter 3. The church of the living God, a pillar, a buttress of the truth. Those are certainly building terms which signal to us our purpose, that we hold fast the Gospel once for all delivered to the saints, that we hold high the Gospel and we proclaim it clearly, boldly, accurately. I'm also reminded of Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 2. The end of that chapter, verse 19 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints. Members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Lots of wonderful illustrations there of the church. Each one of us living stones being put together into a building. Christ being the builder. The Holy Spirit being the builder. And I love how this text calls us a dwelling place for God. That's what the church is. That's what you are. A dwelling place for God. One of the aspects of Christ's building, the church, is the plurality of elders that He appoints to lead and oversee each local body of Christ. The letter of 1 Timothy makes it absolutely clear that the eldership is a very critical part of the body of Christ, the part of its building. Christ works in and through the members of a local church to build and maintain a biblical plurality of elders in that particular church. And we're commanded by Christ to follow His pattern, His blueprint in the building and maintenance of each aspect of life in His church, no matter what it is. Everything we need to know about the, the life of the body is found here in the New Testament. And one of those aspects is Who leads the church? How do we decide? How do we recognize who leads the church and and why it matters so much? And so, the Spirit of Christ living in us, remember, we're His dwelling place. He will enable us to understand and obey uh, this particular aspect of His building, which is incredibly important. 
In fact, in 1 Timothy, we've observed Paul giving instructions to Timothy for the building and maintaining of a biblical eldership. For example, you can remember back in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Actually, just look there for a moment. 1 Timothy 1, verses 3 through 7. You'll notice there at the end of verse 3, Paul says, I charge you, or charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So he's talking about people who are teaching in the body of Christ there in Ephesus. He tells them, make sure they don't teach different doctrine. So the, the, the eldership that was in place in Ephesus needed serious correction. Uh, verse 20, in fact, shows how serious that correction became. Verse 20, Paul says, Among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have what handed over to Satan. That is a... a other, other than in this text, it's also in 1 Corinthians 5, a very severe description of church discipline. I've handed them over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Paul explains to Timothy that he had, he had to hand two of these teachers, presumably elders in the body of Christ, over to Satan because they'd become blasphemous in their teaching. 1 Timothy 3, of course, verses 1-7 through seven, Describe the qualifications to look for in a man who desires the office of elder to see if he qualifies. And then we spent a good deal of time in chapter 4. Paul instructs Timothy in chapter 4, 1 to 16, uh, to be a good servant of Jesus Christ. And those instructions are directed primarily toward those who oversee and teach the assembled body of believers, which is the unique role of an elder. So just by looking this one letter in, in the New Testament, just this one letter, 1 Timothy, we can see that there is no, that this, this matter of building and maintaining a biblical eldership is no peripheral matter in Christ's church. It is a critical issue in the life of the local church. So this morning we're going to begin a series entitled, just what I've been saying, Building and Maintaining a Biblical Eldership. And it'll take us from verses 17 in chapter 5 through verses 25. 17 to 25. Now, in this next section that Paul dedicates to, to, to giving Timothy instruction about the elders of a local church, we also know that this is the third group of people in chapter 5 that Paul addresses to Timothy and says they're to be, they're to be handled a certain way in the body of Christ because this is God's household. And so there's three things, there's three main commands in this section, three sections we could divide it up, and we'll look at these over the next three weeks, Lord willing. Today we'll just do an introduction to these, to these three sections. But verses 17 and 18 talk about honoring a skillful, diligent, godly elder that's very important for building and maintaining a biblical eldership. Secondly, in verses 19 to 21, we have instructions here about rebuking a sinning elder. How do we do that? That's very, very important to keeping an elder, an eldership biblical. The, the people of the body need to know how to go about rebuking a sinning elder. And then the last part of it is, well, how do we go about affirming a, a prospective elder? And so these are very important principles and ones that, that each one of us as members need to be 
very careful to understand and, and ready to apply in our local body. Honoring, rebuking, and affirming elders. And to be practiced and prioritized by the members of the church. And it's important because if you think about this, and this is really the focus of, of, of the message today, I want us to really consider the importance of these three activities. The entire local church will move doctrinally and practically in the direction of its leadership. That's a serious thing, right? Very, very sobering. Those to whom the church gives spiritual influences, they will direct the momentum of the church, whether that is for good or for harm. Now, that's part of what I want you to be thinking about today is consider examples maybe in your own life or in the lives of those you know and love where the leadership of a church have been harmful. And think of the repercussions of that in so many people's lives. Think also of, of local churches where there has been a biblical eldership and how much of a blessing it can be and has been in the lives of those in the church. So Paul is exhorting the church and making it clear to us that, that if we want to build and maintain a biblical eldership, we must be committed to these three principles. Honoring, rebuking, and affirming elders by the leading and enabling power of the Holy Spirit and the, of the ascended Christ. Now, the attention of your heart to this text to these matters will depend on how important you believe a biblical eldership is to your local church. To your personal spiritual good, to the spiritual good of your family, and even how important it is to the glory of Christ in the church and in the world. How important your, it is to your spiritual good and the glory of Christ. So my question for you this morning in this introductory sermon is, how important is it to you how important is it to you that, that Christ builds and maintains a biblical eldership in your local church? On a scale of 1 to 10, how important is that to you? <laughs> I hope so. For all of us. So this is the main idea that I want to share with you this morning. I'm really planning to do just a little bit of a biblical theology of, of the eldership. We're going to look through the New Testament. I want you to see what, what elders do and the impact that they have on a local church. So let the building and maintaining of a biblical eldership be very important to you as the Spirit of the Ascended Christ works in you. And I underscore this, when I consider, when I consider the building of the church and its progress right now, I look and I hope in the ascended Christ. You have to understand this. This is, this is a beautiful aspect of the Gospel that gives me hope and comfort right now today. Christ is not dead and buried in the grave, right? He has risen. And He has ascended. And He is seated as Lord right now, today, at the right hand of the Father. And by His Spirit, whom He sent on the day of Pentecost, He lives in you. And He lives in every true member of His church. And it is through that power and that direction that He is building 
and moving the pieces of His church and putting people in place for His glory and the accomplishment of His redemptive plan. So that is where our hope lies. In the ascended Christ. Right now today, He is risen, ascended, reigning, and overseeing the life of His church. I want you to note something at the outset here. God can work in our lives, and we, all, we know this, but I want you to remember this. We, God can work in our lives in spite of nearly anything, right? I should, I should take the word nearly away. God can work in our lives in spite of anything. He can work in our lives in spite of the absence of a biblical eldership or even in the presence of an unbiblical church leadership. God can still work in your life, yes? Absolutely. God is not bound by our deficiencies. All right, is that, that, that's clear, right? I want to say that clearly to you. But what we also know from God's Word, that Christ has chosen to work powerfully in the lives of the members of His church and richly bless the members of His church through Spirit-filled ministry, through Spirit-filled means, and specifically the ministry of a biblical eldership. That is the normative means that God has chosen to lead and feed His church. And please notice this morning in the Scripture that we turn to, the spiritual blessings. Notice the spiritual blessings that God gives to His church through a biblical eldership and the great spiritual harm that can come to a people because of unbiblical church leadership. So here's the question as we look this morning and then we'll, we'll have a few answers as we walk through and you can follow them in your in your outline. Why should building and maintaining a biblical eldership be very important to all of us? And it is. It's important to us. It's important to me. I want that all of you should be blessed by a biblical plurality of elders. I'm going to work for that. I have. And we are, we're going to continue to work together for that. And it's in the hands of our risen, ascended Christ. So the first reason, why should it be important to us? Number one, a biblical eldership is the will of Christ. That's really the, the most simple and primary reason. It's important to Christ. This is the first reason. Because it matters to Christ. He has chosen to do good to His church in this way. He has chosen to bring Himself glory in His church in this way. So, because it matters to Christ, it should matter to us. And we know that it's the will of Christ because it is the apostolic example. I think I just put the... Okay. It's the apostolic example. You can follow that in your outline there. If you'd like to turn with me, Acts chapter 14. We're going to look at a lot of verses today. And then we'll begin just an exposition of, of chapter 5, 17 through 25 next week. But today I want to just give you this bit of a biblical theology of, of the New Testament eldership. Acts 14, verse 23. This was the example of the apostles. Verse 23 says, And when they had appointed elders, plural, notice, for them in every church, so there's a plurality of elders in every church that the apostles were establishing here in chapter 14. With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. 
there is a very clear pattern of ministry in the life of the Apostle Paul. He would go to an area, begin to preach the Gospel publicly, see a group of disciples gathered, people that were committed to following Christ, that had been born again. He gathers those disciples together, and they would grow a group of people. God would do that work as people were saved, and then they would appoint over that group of people a plurality of elders, and then a church was established. That's the pattern over and over again. You go, preach the gospel. Disciples are gathered together. Elders are established over the church. So there's the apostolic example. But also, you see it as an apostolic command. Turn to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, and this is certainly not isolated to simply the church in Crete, that Titus was appointed by Paul to oversee. But this is, this is Paul's pattern, and certainly his command here. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. And he talks to Titus, and he says to him there, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. And here's the command. I, I left you here to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Right, so, so that is the apostolic command as well. Whenever a church is being established, elders are to be appointed. And again, you notice that it's a plurality there. So this is the uh, this is this this example. And command is given then great detail throughout the New Testament, which one of the letters obviously is 1 Timothy. And so the reason that the building and maintaining of a biblical eldership is important is simply because it is the will of our Master who bought us with His own blood and is building us into a church for His eternal glory. And so this is why it should be very, very important to us. Let me give you a second reason this morning. Not only is it important because it's the will of Christ seen through apostolic example and command, but also a biblical eldership provides leadership and oversight. What do we mean by this? Well, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Elders are given by Christ to lead the church. It's really that simple in its statement. Certainly not in its execution, but it's that simple. Elders lead Christ's church. First Timothy, or First Thessalonians 5, verse 12 and 13, talk about this. Verse 12, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, and here's the phrase, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourself. Now, it's just that simple phrase, are over you. They oversee you. They lead you. They, they, they direct you spiritually. It's not that elders over a church are, are to be in control of every part of your life. That's not the idea. It's that they are to lead you spiritually in the matters of being the body of Christ. They're set over you to lead you. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 17, our text that we're 
going to be looking at. Again, it, it talks about this in a similar way. Verse 17 says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. In, ma- in spiritual matters, elders are to, the, the word there is to rule over the local body of Christ, to, to lead them, to lead the people in the will of Christ. Again, it's not that they're leading according to their own will. That's not the idea. They lead those in the body of Christ spiritually by pointing them to the commands of Christ and calling them to accountability. Also, elders watch over Christ's people. There's a a little bit of a nuance there. Not just lead, but they watch over Christ's people. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. God has given men to the church to watch over His people. This is one of the most sobering verses that I know of. Acts 20, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves. He's talking to the very elders who swerved from the truth that he is now correcting in the letter of 1 Timothy by the words of Timothy. Keep that in mind. It's the same church. 1 Timothy, written to Timothy, who was pastoring the church of Ephesus. This, Acts 20, is the same church, the same elders. And he says to them, pay careful attention to yourselves, men, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to watch over the spiritual well-being of the people of God's flock. To care for the church of God. And here's, here's the most sobering statement which he obtained with his own blood. See, what what gives the church infinite value is because of the infinite price that was paid for it. Christ died to buy the church for His own possession. And then He sets men to oversee and spiritually care for and watch over those people. I am speechless when I think of such a responsibility. The Apostle Paul said this sort of thing. We warn men and teach men so that we can present every man in Christ. What a profound task that God has assigned to mere men, yet thankfully He has put within us His Holy Spirit. Elders, watch over Christ's people. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13 and then verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Why should should a membership in the body of Christ willingly obey and submit to the spiritual leadership of their elders? Why? They are keeping watch over your souls. Isn't that something? Keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. 
A biblical eldership is called to keep watch over your souls, dear ones. To literally watch over the spiritual health of your soul. And that's why biblical eldership will pursue you and pray for you and and seek to discover how you are doing in the Lord because they want to know that it is well with your soul. Do you see? That is the calling of a biblical eldership. Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. The same thing is written for us here. 1 Peter 5, 2 and 3. Shepherd, the Apostle Peter, right? The, the leader, a leader of the church. In verse 2, he says to these other pastors, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Watch over them. Not, not because you have to. Not under compulsion, but willingly. As God would have you. The way God would want you to. Not for shameful gain. Not, not because you can get something out of it. But you do it eagerly. And, and not domineering. Not by forcing people to do what you want them to do. But, but not domineering over those in your charge. But being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And then consider 1 Corinthians. You don't need to turn there, but 1 Corinthians, you jot this reference down. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8. The Apostle Paul looks at the church in Corinth, and there's so many conflicts in that church, and some of them were seeking to go to the public courts, as it were, and sue another person in the church for some wrong done. And he looks at those people and he says, why are you doing this to one another? Why are you defrauding? Why are you wronging one another? Why are you going to the unbelievers to settle a dispute in the church? He says, isn't there anyone there wise enough to help you work through those things and to come to reconciliation agreement? And that's why we say, well, okay, one believer can't sue another because Paul forbids it. But that also calls us to accountability and say that's at least part of the roles of an elder. Someone who can, is equipped to then help people to reconcile their differences and to come back to a, a good relationship in the body of Christ. So what kind of elders do you want to lead you spiritually? That's the question. And, and to oversee your spiritual health and the direction of your life in spiritual things. Your elders, think of it this way, your elders will either diligently point you to Christ and His Word, attentively and prayerfully watch over the spiritual direction of your life and hold you accountable to Christ's calling upon your life, or or they'll neglect you. Or they will give you unbiblical worldly guidance because they're more interested in gratifying their own selfish desires. So as I consider those two options, let us wholeheartedly pursue Christ's good gifts to His church by submitting ourselves to His will when it comes to building and maintaining a biblical eldership. Let's let's ask God to strengthen us to do this well. And again, it's, it's dependent on the ascended Christ. Listen to this. Ephesians 4, 7-11 says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When He ascended on high, 
He led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying He ascended, what does it mean that He had also descended in the lower regions of the earth? He who descended, right? He came down, lived, died, was buried, He rose, is also ascended, that Christ is ascended far above all the heavens, that He might fill all things. And from that position, verse 11, it says, and He gave the apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. That's, that's a description of elders, the shepherds and teachers. The ascended Christ gives to His church the gift of faithful shepherds and teachers. And so let's keep looking to Him. Asking Him to give us such elders and trust and follow His plan for building and maintaining a biblical eldership. And that's why it should be so very important to you, to all of us. Why should building and maintaining a biblical eldership be very important? Well, it's the will of Christ. It's the elders provide leadership and oversight. Number three, biblical eldership provides teaching and preaching. Consider this. In virtually all of the practical tasks of daily life, of the daily life of an elder, including the main things, uh, include the main things that Christ gifts. All all of the practical tasks of the daily life of an elder, which include the main things that Christ gifts them to do, is preaching and teaching. I mean, what task does an elder do from day to day that doesn't include preaching and teaching? It's nearly every every included in everything that he does. I mean, think about it. The gathering of the assembly on Sunday morning to a private meeting with a husband and a wife in their own home. What is he doing? He's going to be teaching people the Word of God. And so, elders provide Christ's people with sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. Acts chapter 6 and verse 4 in a, in, a, in a way, outlines the responsibility of an elder. And this is, in this text, is talking about the apostles as they were just founding the church. But Acts 6 and verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. That's, those are the two oars in the hands of an elder that make the canoe of the ministry go forward. Prayer and the ministry of the Word. Acts 15 and verse 6, The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider the matter. What you see throughout the book of Acts, and you see certainly applied in the, the epistles as well, is that elders were constantly overseeing doctrinal issues. Constantly overseeing. There were, there were lots of questions that came up in the early church, just as there's lots of questions that come up today. What do we believe about this? What do we believe about this? And constantly those doctrinal issues were being brought before the elders of the church. 1 Timothy 3.2, right? Remember, remember the qualifications of an elder given in verses 1 through 7. All of them have to do with character except for one. And what is it? He's able to teach. Right? It, there's so, I mean, think of the so many things that could have been included in there as, as abilities and skills of the elder. Well, there's the one thing that Christ includes there. He's got to be able to teach. And 1 Timothy 4. Certainly, the apostle, uh, the apostle Paul spoke to Timothy about this gift as well directly in, 
in his exhortation to him to be a good, good servant of Christ Jesus. Verse 13 and 14, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. First Timothy 4.13, to exhortation, to teaching. Verse 14, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Teaching. Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. It's a very important text in this regard. One that we return to often. First Timothy, or second, second Timothy 4.2. Paul exhorts Timothy, preach the word. That's the role of an elder. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Elders provide Christ's people with sound doctrine. Hebrews chapter 13 again refers to a biblical eldership. Verse 7, Remember your leaders, the, the writer of Hebrews says to the church, those who spoke to you the Word of God. That's what your leaders do. They speak to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So elders provide Christ's people with sound doctrine, but, but there's also a very important role in the eldership is that elders protect Christ's people from harmful doctrine. That's an absolutely essential role. Turn to Titus chapter 1 and verse 9. Titus 1 verse 9 says, here's, here's a qualification for an elder. Very important that we understand it. He must be able to do this. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Right? He has to be able to, to safeguard, to hold on to the gospel as the apostles gave it. So that, to what degree? This is a great, this is a great text to help us to know. You could ask yourself, how doctrinally sound and skillful must an elder be? He has to be so well taught in the gospel that the apostles give that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also what? To rebuke those who contradict it. You don't want to have an elder over you who is confronted with false teaching and can't recognize it. Or can't defend the true doctrine in the face of false teaching. That's very important. In fact, one of the courses that we're going to be working on this year, Lord willing, as we as we're you know, training men in, in, in seeing God's will, who, who will be an elder. But as we walk each other through these courses of, of biblical doctrine, we're also going to cover a book that, that talks about the competitors of Christianity. It's very important that every elder understand the ancient heresies because they're not going away until Christ comes. Yeah, they're called different names nowadays. They put on a different suit coat. We need to know them and to be able to defend the true gospel against them. Very, very important. Elders protect Christ's people from harmful doctrine. And again, classic example of this is the text that we already looked at, and I'll read it to you. Acts 20, you can jot the reference down. Acts 20, verses 29 to 32. He just got done telling the elders there in Ephesus to watch over 
the people of God there. And he says, verse 29, I know that after my departure, when I leave you elders, fierce wolves, those, those are, that's the, the, biblical, the continual biblical illustration of a false teacher. Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That's the role of an elder. An elder has to be able to look at another elder. And this is, this is the importance of a plurality of elders. One elder has to be able to look at another elder who is, who is being drawn into false teaching and to be able to confront and rebuke him with the truth. You see? They hold each other accountable. That's what Paul's talking about there. So what kind of elders do you want to teach you? To teach your family the teachings of Christ. What kind of elder do you want to be actively protecting you from false doctrine? In God's providence and sovereign working, a biblical eldership could be the difference between you being taken into false doctrine and continuing to walk in the truth. Again, God can work in spite of any human frailty, but this is part of the means that He does choose to use. You'll be given the Gospel by your elders. Your children will hear the Gospel from your elders. You will be taught many doctrines by your elders. You will be discouraged from false doctrines by your elders. And as your elders do so, they will either be a great blessing to you or they will do you harm. So again, I encourage all of us, let's look to the ascended Christ who gives gifts to His church. The gifts of, of elders and ask Him to give us such elders that we may trust and follow His plan for building and maintaining a biblical eldership. A fourth reason this morning of why it should be very important to us. Number four, a biblical eldership provides prayer and care. First of all, elders pray for Christ's people. Acts, 4, Acts 6 and verse 4, we looked at that text earlier. The apostles, we find there the apostles saying, we will devote ourselves to the ministry of the Word and what? Prayer. How many hours a week do you want your elders praying for you? How many hours a week do you want them praying for the salvation of your children? Do you want men who are devoted to prayer? Going before the throne of grace on your behalf. Pleading with God that He will deliver us from the evil one. Right? That's what they're called to do. 1 Timothy 2.8 Paul calls the church and certainly Timothy and the other leaders that men should come together and, and pray together without division. Look at James chapter 5. Let's start in verse 13. James 5 and verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. 
Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. God has chosen to use elders to pray for their people so that they would be able to overcome sin and be blessed through God's discipline in their lives. Now, this, this is such an important text. To have elders who would be willing to come to the bedside even of a sick person and to pray with them and to ask them those tough questions. Do you think this illness has anything to do with your secret sin? And can I care for you? What can we do to help you? Boy, the, 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 the prayer life of an elder is very critical for the life of the body of Christ in God's providence and sovereignty. But also, elders care for Christ's church. We see that in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. You can jot that reference down. It's an example of the Apostle Paul, again, telling the Ephesian elders that they should care for the church practically, hands-on, very personally. Galatians, turn to Galatians chapter 6. This is a well-known text, and it, it's, it's directed toward more than elders. I want to make that clear. This, this is the commands of chapter 6, verse 1 through 5, are directed toward every member of the body of Christ. But certainly it would include elders. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. The point is this, is that the body of Christ will be blessed to have elders that are caring for them spiritually like this, that when they see a member who is pursuing or caught in sin, that they won't sit there and do nothing and ignore it and hope it will blow over, but that they will pursue that brother or sister until they have opportunity to help restore them with gentleness and by the words of Christ. And again, James 5, 14-16, that care over Christ's people to seek to restore them from sinning. That's a very, very important part of the elders' care for Christ's people. Elders provide prayer and care. Don't you want faithful elders who will be praying for you and your family? Do you want elders who will be praying faithfully for the salvation of your children? Yes. The people of Christ desire to have 
godly elders who will be continually bringing them up before the throne of grace so that they may experience that mercy and grace to help in time of need. When the Lord leads you into challenging trials, difficult situations such as illness or or poverty or struggles with sin, whatever the circumstances may be, what kind of men do you want praying for you and personally caring for you and walking with you through those difficult days? That's why God gives elders to His church. You know, it's very often that that Christ's sheep don't want to let the elders know about their struggles inside. Right? For fear of what someone else may think of them. That can be a very serious obstacle. Because God has given shepherds to His church to tenderly care for them and to help them to grow through their challenges. In God's providence and sovereign working, a biblical eldership will be a great blessing to encourage you in your difficulty and exhort you in your struggles with sin and pray for you faithfully so that you persevere in your faith toward Christ and remain faithful to the end. Again, God doesn't need elders to do that. But in His wisdom, He has chosen to use elders to accomplish these things. So we look to Christ, the ascended Christ, to give us these good gifts. Finally this morning, a biblical eldership equips and affirms others for ministry. Biblical eldership equips and affirms others for ministry. Letter A, elders equip Christ's people for ministry. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 11 and 12. So the ascended Christ gives, in verse 11, apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Why? Those men were given to equip the saints. That's every believer in the local body. To equip the saints to do what? For the work of ministry. Why? So that the building up of the body of Christ, the body of Christ can be built up. For how long? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we can be no longer children, no longer immature in the faith, in the Scriptures, in, in, in the Christian life. Because immature people are tossed to and fro by the waves as it were False doctrine, right? Carried about by every wind of false do- of doctrine. By human cunning. By craftiness and deceitful schemes. So the elders are part of God's gift so that the people of God would be equipped to, verse 15, speak the truth in love to one another. That's one of the main things to be done in the body of Christ. To speak the truth to one another in love. And we're to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Elders equip the people to do the work of ministry. 2 Timothy chapter 2 gives one specific aspect of the elders equipping 
Paul calls Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. He says to Timothy, you then, my child, verse 1, 2 Timothy 2, verse 1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have learned from me, Timothy, what, I, what I've taught you, what you've learned from me, in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to entrust those things that I've taught you. You entrust those to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Do you see the role of an elder? He must be prepared to train other elders. That's so important for protecting the gospel, the perpetuation of the ministry, the protection of the church. I mean, how think about it this way, dear ones. How long do you want a church to be sound in the gospel? Just for 20 years? Or do you want it to be multi-generational in its faithfulness? That we're looking beyond ourselves, right? We want to have a church here in Escanaba that is not only faithful to the gospel for a few years, but perpetually faithful to the gospel so that people for generations to come can still hear the true saving doctrine that you've been able to hear by God's grace and keep it going and keep it going. That's on us. That's a responsibility God has assigned to us is to seek to make sure that for generations to come, our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, however long God has us here, will be able to hear the true saving gospel of Jesus Christ. You see? That's how important it is to have a faithful biblical eldership. And elders not only equip Christ's people for ministry, but elders affirm Christ's people into ministry. You see that Acts 15.22. Elders lay their hands on people. That's kind of the, 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 the visual symbol of spiritual blessing. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 13. You can jot that reference down. So Acts 15.22, 1 Timothy 4.13, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, I want you to exercise that gift you were given, which was affirmed to you by what? The laying on of the hands of the overseers, the presbyteries, right? the, the, the elders. And 1 Timothy 5.22 Look at what elders are to do. And we'll look at this in detail in a couple of weeks. But 1 Timothy 5.22 says, Paul tells Timothy, don't be hasty. Don't get in a hurry in the laying on of hands. In other words, in the affirming of another man into the eldership. Don't do that in a hurry. Otherwise, you're going to take part in the sins of others. Right? That's, that's important. Take your time. The body has to be certain. The elders that are already in existence must be certain that, that this is a man who has been gifted by God for this task. Keep yourself pure. And certainly, I don't know, it seems to me in verse 23 that, that, that Timothy was probably a timid, nervous sort of guy struggling with anxiety. And so Paul says, Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent ailments. He was struggling. Think of it, that Paul put that verse in the context of affirming elders for some reason. Right? It is a serious, sobering task. You see? The sins of some men are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, even those that are not that they cannot remain hidden. 
so very important here. Every believer has been gifted by God to minister in the church and to witness to the world. Every believer. And every church has been called by God to multiply elders and deacons. So the question is, is what kind of men do you want to prepare you for your ministry? In other words, what kind of men do you want to be equipping you to be a godly spouse, to be a godly parent, grandparent, disciple maker, etc.? What kind of men do you want to be equipping you with God's Word to do those things? Those are the ministries that God has given to to each each person in the body of Christ. What kind of men do you want to be multiplied in your, your local church? What kind of men do you want to be training other potential elders and deacons? In God's providence and sovereign working, a biblical eldership will set the pattern and direction for ministry training and the multiplication of ministers. How the elders equip and affirm people for ministry will make a massive impact on the life of a local church. So can you see why this is so important? So incredibly important. And again, let's look to the ascended Christ. That He would give us the gift of building and maintaining a biblical eldership. From this, in closing this morning, let me say that from this short biblical theology of the role of an elder in Christ's church, I I trust you can see it's important. And that's why the Apostle Paul commands Timothy and the Ephesian elders, the Ephesian church, to make sure they, they honor skillful, diligent, godly elders, rebuke sinning elders, and affirm prospective elders slowly and carefully. That's why those his commands are so important. And ultimately, the reasons go way beyond whether or not we enjoy good shepherding in this life. That's what we want, right? We want each one of us want to be shepherded well. But ultimately, God has chosen to use godly elders to help us to become people who bring glory to Christ. Romans 8:28, right? God has chosen to move us from salvation to sanctification, to glorification. And the Apostle Paul had that progress in mind when he wrote, we we preach and we teach to warn and get men ready to stand before God. And he labored with all of God's working to see that process brought out. Colossians 1, 28-29. And that's what elders equip us for. Ephesians 4, 11-16. Part of the means that God has chosen to accomplish those goals in our lives for His glory is a biblically sound eldership. Let me underscore our hope again for in Christ for these things. Our becoming Christ-like, our building and maintaining a biblical eldership is not ultimately dependent upon us. I want you to remember that well. It depends on the risen and ascended Christ. He will build His church and work in it for His glory. What He has begun, He will complete. Philippians 1.6 But in that confidence and that hope, let's pursue these things together. Let's begin by looking to Him in prayer and asking that He would graciously provide for us the ability to build and maintain for years to come a biblical eldership. Will you pray about that? 
Will you pray about that? It's so important for us. And I want you to know that we have continued to strive to train men toward the possibility of becoming elders. Recently, two men have completed one part of that training. And we're about to begin another phase of that training and take some additional men to that training as we continue to seek God's will concerning which men He has chosen to be elders in our local church. So please be praying for these men. Will you pray for the men, not knowing exactly who they are? Some of them you know, but we'll let you know others along the way. Please be praying that, that Christ would enable them to be equipped, that Christ would reveal to us whom all, all He has chosen for an eldership. And we're not assuming that every man who takes part in this class will end up an elder or deacon. But let's pray that God will make it clear what He's doing. It's His choice. It's the choice of the ascended Christ. It's His choice. And I want to ask you too, as we we conclude this this morning, please be praying for me as I lead that training. That I would be faithful to equip other men who will be able to teach and lead and care for God's church along with me. That is so very important. Please pray for me. I want to be faithful to Christ in all that I teach and prepare these men for. So let it be important to you as well. Before I pray, I want to say this. 1 Timothy. Would you turn this one one last text with me? 1 Timothy 4 and verse 16. This verse uniquely underscores how important it is to have elders who know the true gospel and teach it to their church accurately and boldly and faithfully. Look at this text. Paul says to Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, on the doctrine. Timothy, pay attention to your character. Pay attention to your doctrine and persist in pay attention, paying attention to it. Because by doing so, you will what? Save both yourself and your hearers. God uses means to bring people to salvation. And part of the means He uses is men who are teaching the truth and seeking to walk in godliness. And, and I feel a great sense of urgency growing in my heart regarding the great number of people who are being taught a false gospel right now here in our community. Who are being taught that gospel, that false gospel, week by week by elders who claim to speak God's Word. Or by church leaders who claim to speak God's Word. And my heart is also stirred at the passivity that many professing believers seem to have about this false gospel. That that, that I struggle with that as well. Think of it this way. Let me be more specific. Some professing Christians think that as long as you have Jesus in your message, you'll be just fine. And it doesn't really matter who you say that Jesus is or what you add or take away from His plan of salvation. And dear ones, it makes all the difference in the world. It makes all the difference in the universe who you say Jesus is and what you say He has done to save sinners and what you think should be added or taken away from His saving work. It makes all the difference of the world. 
And that's why elders are so important. I want to show you just a couple. I guess I, I had a couple more verses. I'll, let me just read them to you and I'll ask you to listen carefully. Here's a couple of verses that have just stirred me over the last few months and made the purity of the Gospel all the more important to me because there are so many people in our community that, that, that don't understand that you can't add any human work to Christ in salvation. As long as, oh yeah, we believe in Jesus. We believe Jesus died for us. We believe He rose again, that He's God. But in order to be saved, it's not just enough to trust in Jesus. You have to be a part of this church and, and do these things in order to maintain your forgiveness. And that's often just overlooked and considered unimportant. Galatians 2, 16 and 21 hit me like a ton of bricks. It says, Paul's talking and he says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. That's Galatians 2.16. Here's verse 21. Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And he takes it even farther. Galatians 5, verses 2 through 4. Paul says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, in other words, these particular believers were wanting to add one aspect of the law to their salvation. We believe Jesus saves. We're trusting in His life and death and resurrection and all that. But we also you have to also be circumcised in order to be part of the church and have eternal life. It's just taking one element of the law and adding it to Christ. It doesn't matter if it's circumcision or not. It could be any element of the law, right? But you take that and add it to Christ, and here's what Paul says. Christ you do that. Christ will be of no advantage to you. That is profound. I take one work and I add it to Jesus and then nothing? Right. That's what Paul's saying. No salvation. I testify to you again. To every man who accepts circumcision, he's obligated to keep the whole law then. Paul's saying, okay, you want salvation, eternal life by keeping laws? Well, then you've got to keep the whole law. Not just the one you want to or the few you want to, but all of them perfectly all the time. And we can't do that. There's no way. So then he says, verse 4, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. Your friend, if you're listening to this message and you think that you need to or can somehow add some of your own effort whatever, baptism, church attendance, whatever it is. You fill in the blank. Something of your own effort, something of your own goodness, your own work to what Jesus has done to save sinners. Then you by your actions are saying that Christ's death was purposeless. That's what Paul says. Christ will not be of any advantage to you. Advantage to you, Paul says. 
you're severed from Christ. You've fallen from grace. In other words, if you're not a child of God, your sins are not forgiven. That's, that's what he's saying. You're not a child, and, and you do not have eternal life. You're, on, you're in danger of entering eternity under the endless wrath of God for your sins. And so that's why I urge you this morning and plead with you to do what the Apostle Paul did. Because he was in the same place. He looked at all of the things that he earned as a Pharisee and as an Israelite and so on. And he said, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I let it go. It doesn't help me to get saved. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Any earthly human thing, if you think it adds to your salvation, you've got to understand it's a liability, it's not an asset. I let it go because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So I invite you this morning to turn from your own self-righteousness your own attempts at being good enough for God, it won't help Christ to save you. It will cause Christ to reject you. That's, that's what Paul's saying. Instead, receive Christ alone as your Savior and rest in His saving work alone to make you right with God. That's salvation. He lived for your righteousness. He died for your atonement. He rose for your endless life. He ascended to keep you and sanctify you. He's coming back to complete you. That's all you need is what Christ has done for you. If you do, you have God's promise that He will make you righteous and forgive your sin and make you His child and give you everlasting life. All who trust in Christ will have that promise. And again, I say this because I'm wanting to underscore the fact that it is so incredibly important that our church has Biblical elders who teach the gospel as the apostles gave it. That's the priority. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we look at, again, what You are doing in the body of Christ in Your church. Thank You for giving us gifts. Gifting each one of us who are born again gifting each one of us with spiritual gifts so that we can build up one another and speak the truth in love, serve one another, and help one another to, to grow up into the image of Christ. Thank You for giving elders to Your church. We pray that You would give us godly, faithful elders. Help us as we train and watch for Your appointment Spirit of God, please work in a powerful way. Because we want to be multi-generational in our ministry. We want, we want the gospel to be preserved for people to come even after long after we're gone. And we, want, we want each one of us to hear the gospel faithfully. Our children to be saved. Our, our families to grow in Christ. Father, we look to the risen Christ and ask Him, to give us these good gifts. We wait for Him and pray and trust and follow. And I pray, Father, that all of us would 
would, would really take seriously, more and more seriously, the importance of teaching sound doctrine, the gospel, and the, 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 that the role of the elder is to do just that. Father, may we be committed to these things, not just for our good, but for the glory of Jesus Christ, who bought us with his own blood. And we pray in his name for his glory. Amen.